Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're gonna want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right, enjoy the rest of the podcast. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Chris Bates to the Philacrosophy podcast. Chris is the head coach of the PLL Archers, has had an amazing lacrosse career, and we are going to hear all about his journey, his philosophies, his thoughts. Chris, how you doing, man? All good. Happy to chat. Yep. Like we were talking about before, it's, it's nice that we're just recording these conversations that we've had for the last 30, 35 years. I know we used to we used to get on some rants and uh, go go in a variety of directions, but it's fun to, uh, you know, we've stayed connected all these years, so it's fun to chat. Yeah, good. So uh, Chris is also currently the head coach of Episcopal Academy. When are you guys going to be in Philly? When are you guys uh, getting started? Friday, the big day. So we got some uh, practice plans ready to go. It'll be fun. Two, my two boys are seniors, uh, so it'll be fun coaching those guys. But it's it's been a, a, a fun process here, and uh, you know, just excited to get the season going. I got a great staff and a, just good thing going, so we're having some fun. Sweet. Uh, so special to be able to coach your kids, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's been uh, you know this is year four, so both those guys in the senior class, it's it's really been a treat, and you know, coaching them, but also coaching their friends and, and classmates. It's it's just a it's it's a neat thing to be involved with for sure. Awesome. All right. So like, like with most of uh, the guests on the show, I, I love to hear about your lacrosse journey as a player, as a coach, your mentors, um, funny, funny or interesting stories along the way. So it starts off um, in uh, the Hudson Valley area, John Jay High School, or maybe before, but uh, just give us a quick recap on, on, on kind of how, how you got it going and then how you ended up at Dartmouth. No, sure. It's, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, the thing about picking up a stick in, in fifth or sixth grade is, is crazy, right? But, you know, back in the day, that was, that was kind of the norm. And my, both my parents worked at John Jay, and a, and a guy by the name of Peter Pagnuco came over, I remember, in our front, front lawn and brought a lacrosse stick. You know, and that was my first exposure and, and catch. Uh, and I'm like, huh, this is pretty cool. And it, it kind of was catching – uh, a little bit of life in the area there, right? Yorktown High School had, had a program for years, and that ripple was, uh, you know, was kind of spreading in Westchester County. So, uh, like anybody else, I played every sport. I was a football guy, a basketball guy, a baseball guy, a soccer guy. Um, you know, I remember one time being at St. Mary's basketball camp, and, and Ted George Alice, uh, who was a, a longtime Westchester coach, uh, and, Ky- you know, Kyle's dad, who now coaches at Army, you know, just came up to me. He's like, you're a lacrosse guy. <laughs> I didn't know how to take that at that point. I'm like, I know I'm five eight or whatever height I was at that point, but you know, I'm like, I'm at basketball camp. Why are you, why are you telling me to play another sport? Um, but you know, it was, sport, it, it was a sport I gravitated towards. I like contact. I was pretty fast, and you know, fast forward, John Jay was a was a you know pretty prominent program in the area, and guys above me, um, two grades above, and even beyond that, were were, were experiencing some some success. So. Uh, I just love the game. And then ninth grade was probably the first time it was really organized in terms of playing JV and, and getting some time there. And, but, you know, back in the day, and you and I often talk about, um, you know, just playing games for games. Or we played bucket ball down in the pit at our high school on snowy days and it just put a garbage can in the middle of the field. And, 
you know, have teams and it basically was, you know, kind of like half court basketball, but you know, you had, you had to get the ball to the bucket and that was a goal. And uh, so, yeah, it was a fun, good community to grow up in. And, and, you know, we had some good teams, had some really good football teams as well. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the doors, in thinking about college, um, you know, little known fact is I was actually recruited to play football at a, at a bunch of different places. Um, but, you know, just really knew, uh, you know, 5'8 and 170 that I was a lacrosse guy and uh, had more opportunities at, at a higher level. Um, you know, was a reasonably good student and, and you know, had some Ivy interests, some ACC interests and, uh, you know, ultimately just found the right place for me, which which was Dartmouth and, and had a had a good experience and really loved it there. I really wish you would have gone to Brown. I, re I remember really finding out after the fact that you like could have gone to Brown and we really could have used you. Well, my favorite, and to this day, you know, Dom and I will, will, will chuckle. It's a, it's a, it's a family joke. So Dom did a home visit. Um, you know, we had a ham sandwich or something. I remember we were watching a Miami Dolphins, New York Jets football game. And my mom and dad were going out like, you know, maybe it was a Christmas party or something down, you know, down the block. And my mom was so nervous to, to meet Dom that she, she walks downstairs and, and, you know, just very hurriedly says, oh, oh nice to meet you, Starja. And just, I'm like, oh, you know, you're just embarrassed as a high school senior or whatever, it's your work, you know, whatever. Um, but I loved, you know, I loved, I loved Dom and, and uh, you know, I, Dartmouth was the right place, but. You know, I was I was coming down to probably Brown and, and Virginia and Dartmouth, really. Um, so for me, it was the right call, but it would have been yeah. fun playing together. We would have had a good connection, I think. Oh, Some no good doubt. We would have had three lefties on attack. That's all right. We would have made it work. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I've, it's funny, even playing for the Wings, I'm not really left-handed. I've come to realize. I, I just have always, by default, even playing JV, there's never a lefty attackman, right? So I, I could always do it well enough to bat the ball in the, you know, the back of the net in a fast break. But I'm a little ambidextrous, but I'm definitely, like, when I warm up, I'm all righty now. It's, it's kind of funny. Even with the wings, I was not really a left-hander, but just kind of willed it to, you know, to, to, to make it happen. That's very rare. So tell us a little bit about your experience up at Dartmouth, the coaches, um, and uh, some of your, you know, your, your best memories. Uh, it's just, a, you know, just a special place. And, and, and it was actually up there earlier this week. And, 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 you know, up with a couple other alums, Mitch Whiteley and Scott Anderson were up and, and you know, meeting with the coaching staff and just, you know, really good to be back. And, and it's a place I love and, and excited to support. But so Scott Allison recruited me who, who had left the summer before I got there. Um, and then B.J. O'Hara came from Hobart, who was an assistant coach there. Um, you know, and really, you know, frankly, when I got there, the program was, was not great. Um, commitment level was only okay. Uh, especially relative to the Ivies, right? I mean, think think of the Ivy League at that point. Brown was obviously good. Yale was the Final Four team my senior year. Uh, Cornell was, uh, you know, those were really good Cornell years. Yep. Um, so in any event, you know, was really excited to to jump on board and help build the program. And and by the time we were juniors, we were, you know, we were competitive against some of the best teams in the country. Uh, you know, UMass was really good, so that was, you know. Those teams with, with uh, you know, Sal was in goal, Mark Millen, uh, Hiller, Rob Cotignato, you know, those were, those were fun games, you know, and we were, you know, and that's Coach Garber back in the day too, right? So those, yeah. were, those were back and forth, um, you know, so took pride in, in doing, you know, kind of my part and our part to, to build a program. And then when Coach Yu left to go to Georgetown, uh, you know, BJ then went back to Hobart. My, for my senior year, which was unfortunate because we really had started to, to, to build some continuity and momentum. Um, and then Tim, that was Tim Nelson, who was an assistant. And then Tim became the head coach uh, for my senior year. And I had grown up. Tim is obviously a, a legendary, you know, Syracuse all-time great and Yorktown guy. So, um, you know, had, had a good experience. Didn't win, win as many games our senior year, but, you know, overall really enjoyed the opportunity to, to, to go to school there and be a part of that program. Tim Nelson was just such an icon for guys our age too. You remember just his the way he would post up and feed and pop back then lever feeds and behind the back feeds. We didn't know what they were called, but he did it. No doubt. He was he was before his time and having that size and that presence to sort of like you say post up at, at go on extended and you know just just see the entire field and no pass was you know no pass was out of the equation. He could just do it all. 
um, you know, watching him and then, you know, those battles, like Hughes Hopkins battles back then were fun because of that too, right? He was going against Dito and, uh, you know, those games were just up and down. It was, it was, it was, you know, fun style to play, but yeah, Tim's, Tim, Tim was, and, and we used to joke, I'm, you know, he's six foot, whatever, and ha- whatever he weighs. And I'm, I'm, you know, just smaller and quicker and, you know, just didn't have the same skill set. But, you know, I think we sort of at least saw the game similarly. We just did it. We accomplished it a little different. Yeah. So um, from Dartmouth, you uh, go into the real world for a while, but lacrosse wise, you stay in it by, uh, when did you, jo- when did you jo- join on with the, um, the M major indoor lacrosse league Philadelphia Wings. Oh, yeah, back in the day. So it was random. So I played for New York Athletic Club for a bunch of years, just kind of, you know, realized that the, the game was in my blood and just wanted to keep playing. And I remember going, I think it was Jerry DeMeo at that point. It's like, hey, you could try out for our, you know, the, the New York Athletic Club B team. And I'm like, ah, all right. You know, I, I, you know so <laughs> the little underdog mentality and the competitor in me was like, ah, let me give the A team a shot at least. Really. I, you know, I'm okay. Um, so anyway, a bunch of those guys uh, at that stage, you know, the Cummings brothers and, and a bunch of guys were playing for the New York Saints, but I was living in Manhattan. Uh, and all I wanted to do was try out for the Saints. Like, just give me a tryout, like kind of the same mentality. Like, let me, let me take a shot at it. Uh, and the GM at that point um, wouldn't even give me a tryout for the Saints. I'm like, all right, then maybe the dream's over there. And not, not that it was a huge dream. Uh, but then met uh, a New York Athletic Club teammate, John Nugent, literally on the side of the street one night walking to, you know, my girlfriend at the time's house. And he's like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to try out for the wings. He was a Philly guy, a Havertown guy. Uh, and I'm like, huh, you, you live in Hoboken. He's like, yeah, I'll, if I make the team, I'll drive down on Wednesday or whenever practices are. And uh, yeah, sure enough. I'm like, well, let me, let me know how I can go about trying to, you know, create that opportunity. And I remember FedExing Frenchie, Mike French, a, uh, a, you know, a resume. And he's like, yeah, if you're crazy enough to want to drive down here, we'll at least give you a tryout. And uh, sure enough, you know, practice after practice, I'm still ma- – I had no idea to play indoor lacrosse. I didn't know what hand I really was. I didn't know you – you know, you didn't switch hands. Yeah, I just didn't know anything, but I played hard. And, uh, you know, the night before – it's actually kind of a funny story. The night before the last try, I had no, no belief that I would get that far. And we had, I had tickets to uh, – with a buddy of mine to, to uh, Jerry Garcia in Madison Square Garden with Blues Traveler opening up for them. Nice. And yeah, my buddy's like, I'm like, I, I shouldn't go, you know, he's ready to go. I'm like, I, I really shouldn't go, right? I mean, I got this big tryout, Saturday morning tryout, whatever. And I'm like, you know, he's like, all right, I'll try to find somebody else. So I'm, you know, prepared to spend, do the right thing, spend the night at home, uh, you know, watching the game or whatever. And long story short, he's, he's about to walk out. I'm like, ah, who'd you get to go? He's like, I'm going by myself. I'm like, hold on. Like, I, I'm not letting you go to the show by yourself, right? So uh yeah we had a fun a fun night that night and you know made made the team uh you know on on sheer will I guess the following morning and that was a great experience honestly just that's really where I learned how to win you know you talk about mentors and people like that but you know playing with guys like Chris Flynn and Tony Resch and Gary Martin Billy Miller and you know John Nostrand John Mack like all those guys who were just such winners um and coming from uh, an organization that just valued championships, you know, you learned how to play a role. You learned how to prepare. Um, so that experience was, was a really good one. How many years did you play for them? Uh, I played for seven out of my eight years for the wings. So I played for, I was a, kind of a scrub for a couple of years, which always drove me nuts. But, you know, you realize that perseverance and, and, you know, figuring out your way into the lineup was, you know, uh, you, you had to, you had to do certain things. Um, so started to crack the lineup and won championships in 94, 95, 96. I had a little bit of a life change and decided to go to grad school at Carolina. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, just coincidence, uh, ended up living with, Ch- with Chip Mayer, uh, Chopper in, uh, on Gateway, G-A-I-T. I'm like, this, come on. Like, how, who, how was the, like, somebody's telling me something not to let the game get out of your blood. And, the crazy thing was that was the one year of expansion where the Charlotte Cobras were in existence. So I played, was a captain of the Charlotte Cobras in 1996. Nice, captain. You know what our record was? What? <laughs> we were Ofer. Oh. Uh, uh, but we, we still joke, a good bunch of dudes, right? A bunch of Canadians came down and then just a lot of the Carolina Duke guys, Matt Oglesby and, uh, you know, just a handful of guys. Ryan Wade was on that team. 
Uh, and we were competitive, uh, and we, we joked that we never we never lost the post game. We, we didn't win on the field, but we never lost the post game. Uh, that's great stuff. So you were, um, but before you headed down to Carolina, you were coaching at Trexel. So that's when you 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 were kind of at Trexel from basically '93 as an assistant until 2009 as a head coach with one year off in uh, 16 years. Yeah, so Maybe. it's a long time. It's a it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. Right, just you know. Uh, I, I love the kids that we brought there. It, that kind of place really, you know, for me at that time, uh, you know, we just got a bunch of tough kids. And with the cooperative education, you know, we just could, could help paint the, the vision of what a college edu education with, you know, some career prep could really do in the long term. And plus you're in a conference with, you know, Towson and Delaware and Hofstra. And, you know, so, you know, it, it wasn't treated as a Division One program early, but, you know, with a lot of effort on a lot of people's part, we, you know, we just really started to, to create something special there. And in 98, we were, you know, top 15 in the country. And, you know, those were just all really cool experiences for me and, and those guys as an assistant. And then, yeah, once, um, two, I guess it was 2000, uh, I became the head coach. And, you know, Randy Voigt, who, when you talk about mentors, is just somebody that, that, you know, gave me the opportunity there. Um, sadly, he passed a few years back, but, you know, that, that's a guy back in the, you know, old school, right? He was an associate AD, he was a PE coach or PE teacher, you know, and just taught me about coaching and, and helped me found, find my way and, and taught me how to respect the game. And uh, so I have, you know, real fond memories of, of that program. And, you know, once I became the head coach, you put your own little stamp on it and, and started to have some success with some really good people. Yeah. What year was it that you guys beat Virginia? Like 2004 or something like that? That was 2007, yeah. Um, and that was, a, you know, a signature win, right? I mean, that was uh, – I remember Tony Resch, I had him come speak to our, our team, and he had mentioned that, uh, you know, you just need a signature win to, to, to believe. And, yeah. you know, fast forward, you know, when, when, when Volks and, and those guys won the, the first round, you know, I just – I and the guys that, you know, kind of came before just took such great pride in – seeing the program achieve those heights, right? We never got to the NCAA tournament or won a game, but felt like, you know, we had helped lay a foundation for, for Coach Volker and, and those guys and, and, you know, couldn't have rooted harder, but wanted to make sure that the guys that were there sort of in the, those early days took pride in it. And, and I think they do and, and still continue to. Yeah, that 07 team was really good. I think you guys beat us out in Denver that year too with a, a zone where you put like a, a shorty down in the low left spot and on the crease. And it was, if, uh, if that game lasted literally one more minute, like the wheels were about to fall off. I'd never ever played a zone for a full 60 minutes. And literally the wheels were like, it was close. You were ringing pipes, you know, and I think we won it by one goal. And uh, yeah, that was about, you guys, that was a good, pretty solid. You had some talent on that team too. Yeah, those are good memories, man. And, and it, you know, we were sort of referenced the fact that we've kind of came up through the ranks together, um, talked a lot of lacrosse over the years. And, and a, an interesting story that we talked about just before we got on was I remember, so in 2006, um, which was the summer 2006, the summer before that game we were just talking about, um, Jeff Snyder, who had played for me, uh, went on to be the MVP of the World Games. Um, the U.S. didn't have a face-off guy that year. And he ended up winning all the face-offs. Canada won the, the world championship. And I was talking to all these people. I'm like, they were like, oh, they were running some kind of pairs offense where like they were in a lefty pair, a righty pair, and a top pair or something like this. And I remember distinctly being in the car, wanting to talk to you about it because of your box lacrosse background. And we always talked about box. We always talked about two-man game. Um, and um, honestly, you ended up pioneering this offense into something that uh, – you know, is now it seems like everybody is running, but it's kind of a funny story. Maybe you can elaborate on how you got going on all that and anything else. No, I, I'll give you a huge assist because, you know, we used to chat about it back in the day and, and just always, you know, sharing ideas about how to create scoring opportunities. And, and, you know, the birth of it really was to your point, like watching the Canadians and watching, they'd always bring somebody, wasn't always a pick or a slip, but always somebody was around the ball carrier and if you slid off that guy, it was a quick shovel or, or you know, dump pass, and you'd get a team to rotate very quickly. Um, and there wasn't, you know, sort of that pure crease offense, whether a single or, du single or double crease. So, you know, honestly, with my background in box and, and frankly, being at Drexel and not having, you know, the superstars, we went down to, you know, we played Virginia every year, and we used to get thumped early. 
you know, and finally we're like, you know, their scout team's better than our first team. Like we, we have to show them something different. Yeah. You know, Mark Rand's offense down there, everything, you know, that big downhill Dodgers and then they had Gladding or Matt Ward or somebody at X, like two things that we didn't have. We also thought to some degree that we were trying to find ways to defend that and felt like, you know, we were starting to get better at defending that. Um, if we didn't play him below goal line, if we sank in a little bit more. Um, but then it was just born out of necessity. We just started figuring that, you know, picks on ball, picks off ball, different motion. Um, you know, we're just, we're just going to be hard to, to defend, hard to, to prepare for. Um, and then we started to recruit more guys that could play in that system, more guys that, you know, you could be a little more one-handed, but, you, you know, a hard two-hand cradle guy, a guy that was, you know, dodging east-west more than north-south. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, we, in the PLL, we, we do a lot of it. You know, at, at Episcopal, we do a lot of it. I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of value in, in the principles behind it. But, yeah, it's back in the day of, you know, just kind of shooting the breeze and, and trying yeah. to be different. I was so excited to talk to you about it. I was like, I, I don't really know what it's going to look like, but it's so interesting to do pairs instead of triangles. Well, just the, communi the communication around it, right? You just – it's you and one other guy. You can balance the field in different ways. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, you, you're still excitable when you talk about lacrosse. It's beautiful. <laughs> all these years, like, it's – you know, it's just, can't beat it. It's too. Oh, I tried, I tried every version of pairs you can imagine, too. I'm sure you did. You know, like low pair offense, high pair offenses, you know, different sets. Like, what if you did this, these pairs? And um, – Pretty interesting. The beauty of it is, it, I mean, it's a system, honestly, where there's some principles, but you can adjust angles, you can adjust shapes, you can adjust, you know, but some of the core things, you know, remain the same. And, and frankly, it's, you know, it's read and react, right? You got to teach good decision making. And, and but it, it, I think in this day and age, I think our game sometimes isn't taught as well as others at the youth, youth level from the standpoint of feeding and cutting and off ball play and pick play and um, you know, so it, it just, even at a youth level, I, you know, I find you can get guys thinking about the game a little bit differently and, and adding layers. If you're not 6'3 and fast, all right, you can be a pick and roll guy or you can be a, you know, a guy that, that dodges low and under or be a big little guy. And, you know, you can find different roles for different guys. And, and that's, you know, it's fun to, 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 to be creative with it too. And then you went on to um, Princeton and I just remember – you, you know, you were kind of under the radar at Drexel, but then you're like in a NFL football stadium playing Hopkins and just scored. I mean, you scored a lot of goals that day. I think the score was like 14 to six or something. And you guys beat Johns Hopkins first game of the year in like 2010. And it was like, that was kind of the coming out party for the Paris offense. And at least in my mind. No, I mean, to, you're right. To coach for the first time in that setting, and, and we did score goals. Uh, it was an overtime game, actually. At, oh. at yeah. At but we were, like, the first quarter of the game, you know, it's it just, you know, and I have the utmost respect for Hopkins, Coach Petro, the whole deal, right? I just do. Um, but we came out and, and, and put some goals on the board early. You know, they called out a timeout. I remember Jack McBride coming. He's like, they're screaming at each other. They don't know what to do. You know, because it's just like your to your point. It's it's not scripted. It's a little funky, and if you're not used to it, it's you know you just don't have a typical crease side and second slide and recovery rules. So um, it, it it took it, it you know it, it takes it takes some practice to try to figure out how to defend it for sure. Uh, but it was fun to to now take that next level and, and do that with a next level level kind of player too. Yeah. So how how ha how would you say that that offense in your mind? Can you give us just a little bit of an evolution of it um, and sort of uh, back when you first started screwing around with it till, you know, PLL Archer's days and Episcopal Academy days? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, the principles sort of remain the same. I mean, we now call it ocean. So everybody calls it pairs. We call it ocean and it's just an open motion set, right? So you can be in pairs, you can be in trips a little bit. Um, you know, the evolution is, is a little bit dependent on your personnel, which I think is the most fun because we try to get guys as interchangeable as possible. So, you know, putting lefties on a typical sort of box right-hand side and having them, you know, high alley dodge with their left hand or, you know, dodge hard right-handed and roll back to their left hand just opens up, you know, different areas of the field and different passing lanes and skip lanes um, you know, you can balance in and out of the crease as you like. You know, you, like you say, we've done it out of a 1-4. We've done it out of a 1-3-2. Uh, 
Um, but, you know, the rules and, and the, you know, when the ball's above goal line, if you're dodging east-west, everybody's above goal line. So you have pipe guys that, you know, kind of like indoor lacrosse, you're, you're not, things are not always going through X. It's a little bit more of a quick hit option. Um, but you can repair, you can finish dodge with, with picks in different ways. Um, you know, so we're not, a, we're typically not an alley dodge team. We're a team that tries to get it stick to the middle of the field in most instances. Um, and then, you, you know, you just develop the off ball play. You develop picking on shorties off ball uh, and do a, a variety of things. And you, you always just try, you know, all the nation stuff, like it's, it's all really basic stuff, but Canadians really are, are it's, they're taught that from, from day one. Americans really aren't, but now much more so now. So, so guys are now more able to, to pick and flash, you know, because guys are playing box at a younger age. Um, you know, to do it, honestly, in, in a professional setting with, with guys like the guys we have, you know, it's like being a kid in a candy store, right? I mean, the two-point arc in the PLL has spread the field out because you have to defend that line. Like, enough guys can hit that shot. So it just creates these skip lanes. Um, you know, to have somebody like Tom up top, you know, diamond balls all over the field, and then Marcus and Will and different guys cutting and being off ball. It's just, you know, it, it's hard to defend, um, you know, especially if you have like-minded guys and guys are, that are selfless and want to share the ball. One of the um, – everybody's running some version of this, whether it's – whether you want to call it pairs or whatever, but it's a lot of two-man game um, on the ball side. And like you said, it could be a pick, it could be a slip, it could be, as Brundy says, a bail, it could be a mirror. You know, there's a million ways you can do it. Um, the one thing I always struggled with with pairs personally, particularly back in like 06, 07, was I just didn't love always having two guys on the pipes, even though I know you can take advantage of that, but sometimes it jams things up. And I used to try to like flash the extra guy up top and create almost like a five-man motion, which is what we're seeing a lot out of uh, Virginia this year and Penn State over the last couple of years. Um, what are you seeing out there in Division One lacrosse that piques your interest as you kind of try, continue to evolve your own thinking? No, I think that, you know, the Penn State stuff is a, is a good example. Uh, you know, they have, whether it's a 1-4 or really sort of a 1-2-2-1, right? I mean, that, that top center guy can be, I mean, picture the old days, right? Like Jim Veltman, I'll date myself, you know, dude that played for the, the you know, one of the best guys ever to, to, to play indoor for the Bandits. You know, it was either a pass and pick down, a pass pick away. You know, you can do a lot of things that just, you know, what is offense? You're occupying a lot of times, right? And and the guys that play off ball, whether it's the give and go mentality or give and pass away, I feel like to your point, like watching Penn State, that you know, they'll they'll balance that guy away and cut somebody through, or that top guy will cut through. Um, so yeah, to your point, I think when the offense bogs down sometimes with two two guys down low, it's it's you know, the defense can just encroach up field that much more and they're not as, you know, there's not as much movement, so they're not as occupied. Um, you know, so, you know, seeing different formations and not being locked with two pipe guys, I think you see more of that, uh, more little rotations. And obviously Denver watching Brownie stuff and, you know, there's a lot of similar concepts that, that you know, just incorporate different, different movements, but a lot of the same principles. Yeah, and the hang up when you got that one guy. You know, you just get all kinds of hang-up opportunities that Brownie's done a ton of, and now you're seeing out of Penn State, and you're seeing out of Virginia now, too. They're kind of following suit. Um, switching gears, um, your probably top recruit that you never got to coach has scored 25 points in the last two games. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sowers, Philly guy, was an amazing pickup. At the time, everybody knew that he was, you know, slick, quick, you know, maybe a little undersized. I don't think anybody realized that he was going to be like the second coming of Mikey Powell. Um, has it been fun to watch him play and to uh, maybe see uh, coaching him someday in the future? Uh, who knows, right? I mean, uh, but now Michael is uh, a fun kid to recruit just because he, he kind of saw the opportunity, you know, to get to a place like Princeton academically where he wasn't getting otherwise necessarily. And, yeah. you know, his dedication in the classroom to, to make that happen was – was something I'll, I'll always, you know, take pride in for him. You know, it's, it's, it's a great experience that, that he's been able to have, you know, at a, at a pretty unique academic place. But, you know, watching him play, and, I, you know, I'm still close and, and recruited a lot of those guys still. I mean, I even look at Slush. Little Slush is, a, you know, a guy who's going to have four years there who's really yeah. good, um, who's got a great IQ and can play. Um, but, yeah, watching, watching, watching Michael's career – uh, he's just such a humble kid, but he makes everybody else around him better. So, 
know, even watching, you know, he's got 11 helpers last night. He's got 11 assists. You know, yeah, you're going to make friends that way. You know, you're, you're opening <laughs> up opportunities for everybody else, but watching him on ball and watching teams how to, you know, try to figure out how to defend his quickness is, uh, you know, he just got, he'll turn the corner, but, you know, you've, you've got to sink and be ready to slide because he's, he's apt to beat you. And that just opens up skip passes and, you know, guys always feel like they're open. And that's, that's the beauty of our game. When you think you're open off ball, if you always know you have a chance, you're cutting a little bit harder. And if you don't get open, somebody else is getting open as a result of that cut. So, um, yeah, I, I dialed in yesterday. I just happened to be home at 6 o'clock. And, you know, two hours later, I'm still watching because you just, you know, you want to watch what's happening next. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun to watch greatness. Hey, um, I know you uh, had a lot of assistant coaches over the course of time. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about sort of uh, some of those guys, where they're at and, and the, you know, from your coaching tree perspective, but also kind of what you, what you took from them, what you learned from them um, along those lines. No, I, I, you know, thank you for asking it. Cause I, I, you know, I feel like I've been really blessed over the years to have uh, some, some really good ones going, going back to Drexel days and, and uh, you know, good old Jake Bunning was my first guy who's no longer a coach, but um, you know, Jim Murgowski was really our first full-time assistant after that. And he's at Michigan and, you know, just was such a competitor and, and, you know, really solid defensive mind, but, you know, really saw him um, challenge guys, but then put their arm around them, you know, afterwards. And I always, I always respected the fact that guys really wanted to play for him. And it's been fun to, to obviously stay in touch and track his career. Um, Andrew Baxter was there, uh, you yeah. know, Baxter was, was awesome. And, and, you know, love backs to death and to see him win a national championship and get all the accolades at Yale and now take over a 2-0 Fairfield program that's on the rise is, is uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, who was after that? Greg, obviously after, after him, you know, that was, uh, I think a big, you know, for us to get a guy who had coached with, with coach T and, and at Princeton and had a pedigree at Hopkins, Greg. Um, you know, and see his success at, at, at Hobart with Steve Brundage, right? I mean, it's just, you see all these guys who, you know, were so integral to, to you know, coaching's one thing, but life, you know, just such good people. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm such a fan on Saturdays of, of Hobart and now Ohio State, because, you know, it was Cleveland State, but now Dylan's at Ohio State. You know, so now I'm a Buckeye fan. And, and uh, you know, fun part of the, you know, John Walker was a, was a defensive assistant at, at Princeton and then coached against him in the PLL, Matt Madelon you know, is now the head coach of Princeton. You know, the, the funny thing, just, you know, quick going back to the to the offensive thing, you know, defensive coaches hated practicing against yeah. our offense, right? But now it's funny to, to, to see some of those guys, Dylan being one, you know, running a similar offense as an offensive coordinator. I'm like, oh, you hated it back then, but now, yeah. you know, now. Um, so, uh, yeah, Greg Raymond, you were referring to, he was your defense coordinator. Now he's the head coach at Hobart. Steve Brundage was your offensive coordinator at Drexel and Princeton, right, for a bit? Yep. And then now he – and he went on to Marquette. Now he's the offensive coordinator at Hobart. And then Dylan um, – Dylan Sheridan is now the offensive – was the head coach at Cleveland State and was um, your assistant at – he was your offensive coordinator at Princeton and now is the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, Pete Milliman was was with us at Princeton for a year. Dan Carson, yeah. who's at Air Force, was with was with us. Uh, you know, Matt Musi and Steve and uh, Steve Grossi are at Towson. Uh, so that's the fun part, right? It's just uh, the root for those guys. And you know, Chris Cooper's at Colgate. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but you know, it's it's that, that's the real you know fun part of the game now at the college level is you know I don't I don't have that you know same career path so to speak but you know certainly root you know for those guys passionately every every game day yeah awesome um how do you compare coaching um high school to coaching college what do you like about it um what do you miss uh it was funny that you know you, you miss the stage to some degree you know you, you mentioned playing in the big football stadiums or, or you know playing in ivy league tournaments and ncaa tournaments and you know there's something to that you know the the specter around it the, the passion at places like Princeton and, 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 and Drexel for sure. Um, you know, so I remember actually Matt Baylor asked me that, or it was Chris Flynn, one of those guys in my Episcopal, they're Episcopal grads, uh, asked me that in the interview. And I said, well, the stage is what you make it, right? And, you know, if we're at Episcopal, you know, you play Malvern or you play Haverford on a Tuesday or a Friday in a regular season game or a playoff game, like that's, that's, that's a big deal, right? So, um, 
you know, coaching's coaching. You know, you're trying to you're, you're trying to find ways to, to bring a community together, a team together, and be successful on the field. Um, you know, you, you miss the dailiness in the college locker room. But, you know, here I, I love walking the halls and, and seeing kids at a younger age. Like, I know the fourth and fifth graders and sixth graders at Episcopal who are lacrosse guys. You know, I'll walk through the middle school just to get back to my office just to see those guys. I'm like, hey, man, you playing box Saturday with us? Like, that, that's the fun part for me. And then, um, you know, you're meeting kids at a, at a different stage of life, right? I mean, that's my parents are educators. Um, you know, at this stage for me, after 25-ish years of college coaching, like it's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a new, it's a new place to, to meet somebody who's a ninth grader and, and trying to deal with those kind of issues versus, you know, the one example is my first meeting with captains. All of a sudden the light bulb went on in my head. I'm like, wow, you guys have never been captains before. <laughs> you know, as a college coach, everybody's been a captain. But to, to start with that process about what leadership's about and what, what that looks like and how to help them in that stage is, is actually kind of refreshing. You know, you're, you're really kind of going back to the, to the grassroots of, of coaching and teaching. And, you know, yeah, the, you miss the, 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 you know, the advanced skill level of guys that you coach in college. But, you know, it's, it's forcing you to go back to real fundamentals of, of stick work and shooting and, and really how to break down an extra – you know, man, offense and those kind of things. So it's been uh, it's been a ton of fun, and and frankly, having my boys here uh, playing for me for for these four years uh, has been nothing short of, of of pretty special, really. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. They're you know two two uh, starting attackmen, two two captains are both going to play next year. So that's been a lot of fun too, coaching them and their and their friends. Yeah, that is so cool. I honestly like, um, you know, I agree with you on everything you said that. The, the coaching, the stage and the everyday element of college lacrosse and your assistants that you're with constantly and you're just living this world. Um, and it's a blast. The high school world, though, I think is so fun, too. Like you said, it's just as meaningful for these kids as anything. Um, and um, I, I feel like it's just amazing training. You know, it's just like it's still it's still lacrosse, you know. Um, There's no doubt. And you take the life blinders off at least a little bit. Right. I mean, it's just totally. You know, you're not, your head's not always down, you know, thinking about recruiting and thinking about that kid. And, you know, it's, you know, and the responsibility, obviously, of, of college kids is a whole different ballgame than, than high school in this day and age. Uh, but the game's the game, you know, if you can bring passion and joy to, to every day and practice and, and, and that translates to your kids and they go off and play in college or the light bulb goes on, like, cool. you know, that, that's, that's, that's a ton of fun and very rewarding. I'm actually coaching girl. I'm coaching my daughter in girls lacrosse now. So talk about a little bit of uh, switching gears. But um, it is. I got to tell you, it's like, it is so fun. Uh, total blast. And like you said, a blessing to be able to coach your kids. Um, so switching gears, PLL. Um, what a massive success that league has been. I mean, how much fun is it to be a part of the startup and the continuation of this incredible this incredible league? No, I, I'm, 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 you know, really blessed to be able to do it. It's, it's been pretty exciting to, to go back and coach some of the guys I coached at Princeton and, and uh, you know, still be involved with them on the sidelines. But, you know, you know, really to see the, this initiative from the ground level and see the thought that's gone into it and the, the people around it, it, it's, it's an amazing initiative, right? And, and the people around it and, you know, obviously Paul and Mike are the driving force behind it, the Rabels. Um, but then to see the pieces around it and see the support, um, the, you know, the NBC support and how professional those guys are and what element that's added to, you know, to our game. Uh, it, it's just, it's been amazing. Um, and then really, you know, the backers around it, these are people that are not used to, to being unsuccessful. So the, there's just a lot of optimism. And then when you watch the product last year on TV or live, you're like, wow, this has a chance, like this is, you know, the competitive level is through the roof. The skill level is through the roof. These guys care, you know, and then you're potentially seeing this real transition to professionalism, right? Like we've all done it, playing for the wings. It was a part-time thing. And, you know, this guys can, can get benefits. They're vested in the league that, you know, there's, they can, they can put together a life where they don't necessarily need to go to wall street right away, or, or, you know, they can sort of pay some bills here and that just helps the product. I mean, it helps guys who are training every day all year round, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, and more skilled, it's making the competitive level that much, uh, you know, that much higher and that much, 
uh, it's just, it's, it's raising the bar for sure. Yeah, no doubt. It, it is truly amazing what Paul Rabel, and I know Mike Rabel has been right there too, but I feel like it's kind of Paul's vision, you know, overall and, and his will, you know, to like make this happen. And, but the, the amount of attention to detail and planning and gosh, it's just amazing. The, the whole undertaking, the way they're just constantly revealing something new that's like off the charts. Um, and it seems like every week there's something for the, for the average fan. It's going to grow the game. I think it has grown the game. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, being in different cities and seeing, you know, go to, go to Minneapolis this, this summer, right. Or to be, you know, out in San Jose or be, you know, be at the variety of places and see kids genuine passion for it, you know, to come out and see this thing live and see it's special. Right. And, and, and I think the hope is you never lose the, you know, the core value of, of the importance of the kids of the game and, and being respectful to the fans who are supporting you. Right. And I think our guys get it right. They, you know, they're, they're excited win or lose after a game to, to just go sign an autograph and interact with young kids. And that's how we all fell in love with this game because somebody shared the passion with us and, and our players top to bottom understand that and respect that. And I think generally want to forward that, you know, to, to the next generation. So, but the rules are awesome. The shorter yeah. field is awesome. The shot clock's awesome. Um, the two-point line is awesome. Uh, I, I just think the game is, is off the charts. It's, it's been a lot of fun. I agree. All those rules, I think, were a home run. Um, the shorter field is just incredible, isn't it? How did you feel that impacted it from your perspective? The first time in training club, we're down at IMG, and I stood at midfield, and I looked left, and I looked right. You know, because the 10 yards were taken, it was taken from the, you know, the, the back, below goal line stayed the same. It was all between the lines. Yeah. You know, and you're like, holy geez, like that, the top of that two point arc is like steps away. Yeah. You know, from the midfield line, you're like, you're looking at both goals and you're like, wow, this is tight. Like, this is much tighter. And it freaked me out, to be honest with you. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I'm not sure how we're going to sub here. I'm not sure. You know, so you're seeing, right, what's the biggest thing that jumps out? You know, long poles coming down that much more. And, having the ability to, 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 you know, get their hands free and shoot it, right? I mean, it's just you're seeing this pace get up and down. Um, you can still sub, right? I mean, I think the, the 52 seconds was right on. I think 45, where it originally was, was thinking about landing, I thought was too short. So I think 52 is, is right. Um, and then you're seeing strategy, right? You're seeing different coaches do it different ways based on, on, you know, what their roster has. And our roster was different. We weren't as much of a transition O team per se. Uh, but we were fine. We were, you know, we were efficient, you know, in terms of what we did six on six, you know, that may evolve as time goes on, but um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you're right. I mean, it's, it's added a lot of different elements. I think there's a lot of eyes on it um, and it's, it's just got room to grow. It really does. The TV, the TV element is incredible. Just everything about the camera angles and the slow-mo and the, the mic'd up piece and all that stuff. It's pretty amazing to see all these other leagues copying it too, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, just, you know, the, the you know, Boyle and Brian, you know, like those guys do a really good job as announcers. I think that sort yeah. of hockey-ish element, his, his voice inflection is, it just, you know, there's nothing better than watching a hockey game really in some ways. And he, he brings that, you know, Brian brings a, you know, a, a good solid understanding of the game and analysis. And then even the sideline guys, Chantel, like, Paul Burmeister is awesome. He's such a professional and brings you into the huddle. You know, that access, to me, the, the funkiest thing was the, after the first game, you know, we win this great overtime game, the first game ever in the PLL. It was, you know, just this really cool, cool memory. I happened to, you know, the next morning kind of get up and get on Twitter or whatever it was, having no idea that like 50 seconds of the huddle was on TV. And I'm like waking up watching myself, you know, try to do whatever I was trying to do in a huddle. I'm like, ah, you know, a little – it was a little too close, but just, you know, that access brings you into what a huddle is all about and what the players are talking about. And, you know, that, that's just, you know, that content is, is priceless, really. It's, it's, it is. And, and people gravitate towards it as they should. F them on three. One, two, three. F them. We, we, I think we got the email. You know, leave it at Towers to do something with this all in trouble. You know, we got the email like, hey, fellas, by the way, let's, uh, let's just remember. Try to avoid the, you know, the overt letter words. Oh, man. Um, you, a couple last questions about some of your players. Um, you know, you've got some of the best players in the world 
Um, I would love to hear you uh, just uh, talk about Tommy Schreiber first and foremost. I mean, he's one of my favorite players in the world to watch. Um, he, he seems like he can do it all, and he seems like he's even a better guy. How, how do you sort of talk about him as a player? Yeah, I, I always talk about Tom as a person first, and, and, you know, that's just a credit to him and mom and dad, who, who obviously did a marvelous job. You know, he's just he's, – he's a humble superstar, and, uh, you know, that just ripples everywhere he is. You know, he, he's such a compete guy. You know, he just, he just wants to compete and win, but, he, you know, doesn't care how it happens. Um, so to have him as a leader and, and to be involved with him is, is obviously a lot of fun. It's, it's funny. I remember when he was at Princeton, you know, obviously had a spectacular career and, and, and could do just about everything. He's like, do you think, do you think I could play indoor lacrosse? I'm like, I, I don't know. I bet you, I bet you might figure it out. I, you know, you got to slow yourself down and it's a different game. And sure enough, you know, become one of the, you know, one of the better all-time Americans very quickly to, to play, you know, Jake Berge and some other guys obviously are Americans that have found a way to translate, but you know, Tom just earns that respect based on how hard he plays, you know, he shares the ball. Um, he just does, does, does everything right. But you know, the, at its core, he's, he's a better person. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Awesome. And you can see the box influence in his game too, can't you? Yeah. We, you know, we, and again, running ocean or running, you know, picks on ball. Like it's just hard, that little bit of interference and then having somebody that knows how to play with you. And then, you know, that vision, you know, the, some of the, I stood behind the one pass he made in Albany, the, you know, game tying goal when he just dimed it to will. Manny on the far left, you know, Scotty Mars standing behind me. And we we're both like, how the hell did he just have the balls to, to make that pass? Well, sure enough, Will's ready to stick in, you know, and it's at the back of the net. But, you know, just the vision and, you know, that, that's the fun part. Like that, you know, yeah. for purists and guys that love the game, just to see that kind of ball sharing yeah. is, uh, is pretty cool. You also have a couple players on your team, a couple coaches from Utah, two of the best shooters in the game, two totally different shooters. Um, you know, but, um, but fun to watch those guys play. Talk a little bit about those guys. Yeah, those, those do, you know, and those were two guys I called early just because I, I respect, you know, what they've done on the field, but now respect what they're doing off the field as coaches and, and, you know, just picking their brain about offense and where they, you know, they're, they're unique, right? They're, they're dudes, two, two guys that don't need the ball on their stick necessarily, but are very capable. You want a short stick, either one of them, go ahead. They're, they're going to yeah. get to the front of the cage. You know, they understand two-man, but they just understand spacing uh, and just make you better just with their off-ball activity. Um, and you, like you say, different shooters, different kind of release points. Will is, you know, you just don't know where, he, you know, he could go low to high, he could go low to low, he can go far side, near side. Uh, and Marcus is just pure, you know, get your hands free, shoot it, hit the back of the net. And, you know, some of the, some of the ways in, in, in which he gets the ball to the back of the net, you just kind of scratch your head and like, I, you know, I'm not sure anybody taught them, um, but just the most fun part about those guys is how much they love the game. You know, yeah, so pre-game practices and just being around the game and then pre-game warm-ups and that kind of stuff, just it, it's fun to be around dudes that have so much energy around shooting the ball and passing the ball. And, no doubt. You know, some of our practice stuff, I'm like, just tell me what you want to do to get loose. Like, I don't need to micromanage this. Like, get loose, step-downs, cross, you know, crosses or whatever you want to do. And just have some fun getting loose and watch dudes that love the game shoot the ball and, and have fun with other guys that, that do the same. And, of course, we're talking about Marcus Holman and Will Manny. I've done a couple webinars with each of those guys and just listen to them artic articulate what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and they do it very differently, but the bottom line is the ball ends up the back of the net, and they love it. Um, last question for you. Um, what's it like coaching? You've coached, you know, pro college high school and now pro what's the difference between coaching pro from coaching high school and college as far as you know what, what you're able to actually do and what your focus is no it's a it's a good question and i think frankly for me it you know that that's an evolution year one you know thankfully i have the indoor background so that 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 model is you know the one night a week you know back in the day at least in philly we were able to do it and have a you know a, a, a pretty physical practice with, with this model, right, it's the night before the game. We still bang a little bit. Um, but, you know, you don't have the day-to-day-ness in terms of seeing guys. So, you, you know, for me, I'm learning how to be a better remote coach, right? And, and same thing with Tony Resch defensively. You know, I'm really lucky to have 
you know, Brian Cavanaugh, who, who was a goalie for us at Princeton on our staff, and then Tony Resch, who's just, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. You know, so in terms of our defense and, and what he's able to do with guys like Matt McMahon and Scott Ratliff and Tree and, you know, some of these other guys on that end of the field, Curtis Corley and, and our D-mids, um, you know, you have a game plan, obviously. You have a scouting report, obviously. Um, you can still make your adjustments as need be. It's just you have to do some of it via film. You know, we're going to try to do some more video conferencing this this year. And uh, so that's that's a little bit of an evolution. I mean, the, the difference with pro guys is there's – you don't have to motivate even one little bit. Like, it's – you know, the lights are on. They're ready to go. I mean, these are true professionals who know how to prepare, know how to compete. Um, you know, the models differently, and maybe that evolves down the line just in terms of how much face time you have with them. Uh, but you can quickly make adjustments, and, and it, there's a like-mindedness that you have to create quickly about adjustments or about the style of play or what we're looking for, uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, it, it's just the amount of time, really, that you have. But you can, you can do some different things, um, but you may be, you know, I may be drawing a, you know, on a piece of paper, taking a picture of it, and sending an extra man play you know, on Tuesday afternoon. But come Friday when you're practicing, guys know exactly where they're supposed to be, know what the kind of looks are. And, um, you know, there's no question about whether or not they're really dialed in to, to, you know, what strategy you're trying to incorporate. It is remarkably competitive, isn't it? I mean, just unbelievably competitive. That's a, that's a challenge for the league, right? There's so many guys. And, you know, great, the water dogs. Look at the, look at the caliber of the team that they were able to draft. Unbelievable. Like that team day one is fighting for a championship essentially just because there's enough talent. If things fall right, they're as good as anybody, you know, and that, that they drafted off everybody else's team, which means that, you know, all of us lost a, a couple of players, but there's a lot of guys. And that's the hardest thing for me as a coach, frankly, you know, is to, to, if you have a roster of 28 guys and only 20 play, the eight dudes that aren't playing are really, really good. They're really yeah. committed. They're really talented. You know, so that's, that to me is just, you know, one of the inherent challenges that, that you face, but you know, it is what it is. It's guys realize that and, and you just got to, you got to you know, kind of forge on. No doubt. And out of the mix that there's an unprecedented level of talent that's going to be in the draft this year. I mean, oh, man. yeah. Oh baby. It's a good one for sure. Unbelievable. Excited. It's nice to have the number one pick. You, you don't have to wait for anybody. You just, you know, you know, you got one at least. No doubt. Well, Batesy, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been too long for us uh, talking lacrosse, so I'm glad we got a chance to do it here. No doubt. My pleasure. It's always fun to connect and chat, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity for sure. I'll send you that two-man game webinar. We'll talk soon. All right, brother. See ya. See you, man.